All right. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Worship was awesome. That last song. My memory's bad, so I, I took a picture of one of the one of the lyrics. And it's really so pertinent for, you know, we're in Galatians and we're st still talking about the good news. But, you know, to think that the good news is not just for a short time or for a little while. You know, it's once and for all. That's, um, that's pretty wild, isn't it? Once and for all, you're saved forever. So we believe our God is Jesus. We believe that he is Lord. We believe that he has saved us from sin and death once and for all. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's awesome. It's awesome. Let's pray. And Lord, thank you for our time. And Lord, uh, thank you for the worship, Lord. It's just, it's just so awesome to enter into your presence, God. Uh, Lord, to know that uh, you inhabit the praises of your people, Lord. So uh, we know you're here. So we pray that you would um, speak to us, anoint your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that um, you know we would leave um, here uh, tonight um, challenged, Lord, and stretched a little bit more in our faith. And I'm um, certainly a lot more excited about our faith as well. So we thank you for these things and put it all before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in Galatians. And last time we made it through the introduction and we made it up to um, verse 6. We stopped at verse 6. Just by way of review, um, we talked about the good news. Is there such a thing as good news? Yes, there is such a thing as good news, um, especially um, if you're looking in the right place, right? So you, you've come to the right place tonight to hear the good news, and of course, um, you know, the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation through faith in Christ is the most important message in the world. That is what they, you know, that's the answer, and I know it sounds kind of coined, it's been probably said a million times, but Jesus is the answer. And, um, you know, they can dance around it all they want, but, um, you know, there's power in the blood. The gospel of Jesus Christ is really what, is what we need, is what the world needs. And you know what? We're blessed because God has chosen us to go out and to share that message, Galatians clarifies the gospel message against the subtle but ever-deadly danger of works salvation. And, you know, we got into that a little bit last time, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, you know, it's not about merit-based. Um, you can't earn it. Um, and it's kind of weird because, you know, you can't earn it, but on the same time, you know, we talk about being obedient and faithful to the Lord. But we're obedient and faithful and follow Christ because we love him. It's not because it's like this, this, this guillotine is hanging over our head and as soon as we step out of line, you know, no, we, we, we follow him, we serve him. We're uh, his bond servants. We're slaves of Christ. So we do it out of love. So we ask this one question, what then is the basic gospel that Paul goes to such Lengths to clarify and safeguard? And the answer is the only way we can be justified before God is by faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say that a lot tonight, um, but you know it's true. It's the reality of the gospel. So uh, I'll, I'll probably repeat myself, but um, it's for a good reason. In um, chapter 2, um, in verse 16 of Galatians, to kind of clarify that, by, that it's by faith in Christ. It says, knowing that a man um, is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we, Paul including himself, even we have um, in Christ Jesus, believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So Paul emphasizes this point over and over again. Faith in Christ, nothing more and nothing less, is the proper response to the gospel. 
So let's pick up in verse, um, verse 6. We'll read and make some comments as we go. I'm not sure um, how far we'll get, but um, we can always pick it up the following month if we're still here, right? So verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, I marvel. It's like he's shocked that within the span of like a year or so, um, you know, that, that the church has turned away, or some have turned away. Um, the Galatians had unwittingly, um, maybe not even realizing it, um, that they uh, kind of fell for the line of the Judaizers and are, we're, we're adhering to a different message, right? One, um, there was only one true message for salvation, but they had been um, hoodwinked, if you will, into believing that there was more to the gospel. Those causing trouble were guilty of seeking to pervert or corrupt or distort the gospel of Christ, not to present a better alternative. And, you know, there is no alternative to the gospel. Right? There is no other good news, right? And they were trying to pervert that, trying to um, turn it upside down, if you will. And when Paul talks about that they were turning away um, so soon from him, I mean, think about, th- think about that. They're turning away from, from God Almighty, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that's sad. But yet it's so true, and it happens. It happens. But that's who they're turning away from. A better translation of that word turning is distorting. They're distorting the gospel. They're turning away, distorting the gospel. In the Greek word, it's a military term for desertion, which was punishable by death. The form of the Greek verb indicates that the Galatian believers were voluntarily deserting grace to pursue legalism taught by these false teachers. Now, to us, it really makes no sense, right? Why would you turn from grace and go back into legalism? But, you know, temptation, you know, it's, it's powerful. You know, we can't under, un, underestimate the enemy. But these folks were, were turning back, going back, to legalism, to legalism that was being promoted by the Judaizers, these false teachers, voluntarily deserting, doing it, you know, being fooled, of course, but getting to that point where they made the decision to walk away and to go back to, um, well, it's kind of interesting. They weren't actually turning their back on the Lord. They were just saying, that, uh, you know, we still want Jesus, but, um, you know, we need the law. You know, we need to be circumcised. We still need to follow the law of Moses. It's an interesting um, situation and really um, ripping themselves off. So in Galatians, further, Paul's going to talk about this again, of course, throughout the whole book. But in Galatians 5 and verses 1 through 6, kind of talks about this a little bit more. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You know, Paul just encouraging them, don't get pulled back into that. Don't get pulled back into that servitude, really, to the law 
when you could be walking in that freedom that's in Christ. Um, you know, like I said, I know it's, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Deserting grace for legalism. But it happens. And the exhortation is, don't let it happen to you. You know, it's, in, it's, it's Christ alone. You know, it's not Jesus plus in any way, shape, or manner. It's Christ alone. And that's something you got to really hold on to. So Paul says, I marvel. It's like he's shocked that this is happening, that he's turning away, that they're turning away from him so soon. And that so soon, it could mean a couple things. It could mean either easily or quickly. And I think it's a little bit of both. That, you know, that they were, they were in such a short period of time, easily or quickly just turning away, just turning away from the gospel. And like I said, from him who called you, you know, and that could be translated, who called you or chose you once and for all. You know, Jesus chose you once and for all, right? In, in John chapter 3, it says, whosoever. Right, and there's, there's no um, ex, there's no expiration date on that, right? So you know it's once for all. It's in it's all throughout the book of Hebrews. We're saved once for all. So important for us to understand that. Um, in Second Thessalonians, in chapter two, verses thirteen and fourteen, uh, you know we see we see this truth. Paul says to the Thessalon- to the Thessalonians. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty powerful. Once and for all, God has chosen us. You know, if you had an inferiority complex before you got saved, I could understand. But once you've been saved, to know that you know that God has chosen you, I mean, that should, um, that should really um, brighten your day when you think about that. You know, and it's, you know, I, I was kind of like Catholic before I got saved, and uh, that means I wasn't really practicing Catholicism, but you know, I thought that you know, I, I thought I was doomed, you know, and then I got saved and realized that that God loved me so much, He sent His only Son to die for me, and that his, I was that I was accepted in His sight, not just for a while, but once and for all, forever, for eternity. Uh, man, that really changes your whole outlook on life. And it's, that's why sometimes I read this and it's so hard to think, you know, how could these people kind of slip away from this or turn away from God or turn away, not so much totally away from God, but to now think in their hearts that what Jesus did wasn't enough and that they had to go back to the law. I'm so thankful that it, it's, it's all just, it's all him. It's all him. So a different gospel, um, there really, um, there really isn't a different gospel. Okay, there isn't any other gospel. There's one gospel, right? There's two aspects of the gospel that could be used um, in two senses. The facts of the gospel and the interpretation of the facts. Okay, so the facts of the gospel are the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Now, these are the historical facts of the gospel that cannot be changed. That's the, it just cannot be changed. Right? The second aspect of the gospel is the interpretation of these facts. And what Paul does, he spends the rest of the time in the book of Galatians um, explaining those facts, interpreting 
um, those facts. So this is what's happening in Galatia, and I'll try to, you know, kind of get this out the best I can. Paul, Paul goes through Galatia, right, his first missionary journey, maybe 47 A.D., and of course he brings the gospel, and they accept the gospel, and God does a mighty work there. But shortly after he's there, the Judaizers come in, and, you know, they're, you know, kind of not low-key, but, you know, you know, they're dressed in their garb, and they're, they're coming in, and they're saying, hey, you know, hey, have you guys seen Paul lately? Yeah, we heard he was passing through. And, you know, the people are like, they're excited. Yeah, Paul was here. It was awesome. He should have been here. You know, he, we, you know, he shared the gospel with us. Um, my whole family got saved. I mean, the, God is doing just a mighty work here in the city. Um, it was great. Why? You know, why do you ask? Well, you know, Paul, you know, he's, he's okay. You know, he's, you know he's, he's got a good message, but, you know, he doesn't go far enough with his message. You know, he, he gets you just to that point where, you know, he shares the gospel, but, you know, he left out some of the important stuff. And so they go on to tell them that, you know, having Christ is okay, but you still have to keep the law. You still have to keep the Mosaic law. And they're thinking, well, sound, I mean, you guys are pretty impressive the way you're dressed. You know, you guys are, you know, you know, leaders in the church, in, you know, the temple, the synagogue. So, um, you know, they're just being kind of led astray, you know, right? The heresy that they were promoting, um, it concerned their interpretation of the facts. See, because they couldn't deny the facts of Jesus, who he was, that he was crucified, that he was buried, and that he rose again, right? Don't forget, there were still... 500 people, some of them still alive, who passed on like, I saw Jesus. You know, I mean, there's a lot out there. So they couldn't come right out and overtly say the gospel is not true. No, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Jesus, you know, they couldn't go that route. So they had to leave that part of the truth together intact. And so they ended up, what they did is they just enhanced it. So it was okay, Jesus died for your sins, but you still have to do this and you still have to do that. And um, I, don't, um, I don't have to tell you that that um, probably irritated Paul. You know, think about that. that you know, here, here it is, they're, you know, they're, 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 they belong to Jesus, they're the church, but, you know, Paul has this connection with them. You know, he's discipled them, and now they're getting ripped off. You know, and it, it's um, sometimes righteous indignation like that is okay, right? When, you know, somebody is being ripped off, the enemy is ripping somebody off, trying to pull the rug out from under them and their faith. Sometimes it's good to get bugged by that, get a little irritated and want to get, you know, just get back out there and just, you know, let these people know, hey, don't fall for that. You know, don't, don't get fooled. Don't let the enemy pull the wool over your eyes. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. So the heresy, it's been around forever. It's adding something to the gospel of grace. It's doing something rather than simply believing something. All right? It's faith plus something rather than faith plus nothing. Every cult and ism has something for you to do in order to be saved. And it just doesn't jive with what Paul has taught. Look at what Paul says in, about the, to the Philippian jailer in um, Acts 16, verse 31. He tells him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Uh, there's no stipulations there. Just believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Peter told the Sanhedrin in Acts 4, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And, you know, he said that at the peril of losing his life. You know, he's facing the religious leaders in jail 
but, you know, just totally committed to the Lord. Um, you know, obviously just recently filled uh, with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, just bold as could be, you know, just telling them, hey, that there's no other name, that there is no other name, and that hasn't changed. None of that's changed. And that's what, that's, I mean, consistency is good, right, when it comes to this stuff. But, you know, it's, it's so, so true. It's so true. Um, Jesus told the apostles to preach the gospel of salvation by grace. Okay, so the gospel shuts off all works. Now we have Paul writing to the Galatian believers and saying, I marveled that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. You know, Paul is just kind of beside himself. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Um, that word trouble, disturb, um, it kind of means to shake back and forth, um, to agitate or stir up. Um, here it refers to the deep emotional disturbance the Galatian believers experienced. You know, their faith just being shaken. Just being, you know, they're questioning, um, you know, their faith. And to pervert um, means to distort. And this, I like the, this definition. It's to turn something into its opposite. Right? So salvation is free, right? It's free in Christ. And they turned it right upside down and said, no, it's not free. Sure, Jesus died for your sins, but you have to do this. You know, there's some, some strings attached. It's not just free. So I, I like the, the definition for that. And, of course, the gospel of Christ is the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In verses 8 and 9, Paul says, But even if I, we, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. You know, it's when, when somebody uses the same word in two verses, let him be accursed, and then says again, oh yeah, let him be accursed. Um, I think that's, it's not a good thing. Right, and that Greek word is anathema, and it refers to someone consigned uh, to destruction in eternal hell. So Paul is saying, "Hey, look, you know this is how I feel about people like this—that they should be cursed, right? That they should—that they should just spend the rest of eternity separated from God, because what they're doing is horrible." It's, it's, it's unfathomable to think that someone would try to rip off somebody in their faith. And Paul is saying that there's a price to pay for that. And there is. And there is. I know hell was created for angels, but there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of people there um, that have blasphemed and ridiculed and mocked the believers, mocked the church. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm not, um, I feel horrible about the fact that they're going to be separated from God forever. But that's, that's, the, that's their destination if they don't change their ways and accept the Lord. So in verse 9, Paul says, as we have said before, now he's, this refers to what Paul taught during his earlier visit to the church. He's not talking about um, what he said previously in this epistle, okay? So, as, the, as saints, the gospel shuts off, or we need to know that the gospel shuts off all and any kind of works. In Romans 4, 5, Paul tells us, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. 
Amen. So let's move on to verses 10 through 12. And this is going to be, this is, boy, when I got done with this, thinking about this, for, well, since the last time I spoke um, a month ago, um, th- this is a really challenging section for me, and uh, hopefully you'll see why, and it'll be challenging for you as well. Paul said, for I do not persuade men, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, and notice he says, for if I still please men. That's what Paul was doing when he was, before he got saved. His life was pleasing men. So he says, for if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So because um, the false teachers sought to undermine Paul's spiritual credentials, you know, claiming that his gospel was from men and not from God, Paul, um, right up front, um, sets out to defend his apostleship. Okay, explaining once again that, and because he said this in verse one as well, that he was appointed by God and not by man. And the, as we get further through the the rest of this chapter and into chapter two, you know, he's going to bear that out even more. But he says, "For I do not, per, for do I now persuade men or God?" Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So Paul lays out the groundwork right at the very beginning when he says, Do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? And that word persuade means to make a friend of. The Schofield Reference Bible translates it to seek the favor of. And we see this used a couple times in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests the hearts. And in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord that you abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please and to please God. The thought there in, in those verses and in what Paul is saying is to please God in contrast, in contrast to, to pleasing ourselves or to pleasing others. You can't have it both ways with the Lord, with your relationship with the Lord. You can't straddle the fence. You can't please God and please man. Anybody object to that statement? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, you know, I, the, the reason why I say that, because I, I spent a lot of time, you know, thinking, you know, Lord, you know, sometimes, you know, you just, you wonder, you, you wonder, but as you grow in the Lord, you realize that it's a, it's a part of maturity, right? You, the, the, more, the longer you're saved, the more you realize it just doesn't work out. You can't please the world and please God at the same time. Because, you know, to please God, you need to be vocal about your faith. You need to actually live out your convictions. To please the world, they want you to shut up and they want you to go away. They don't want you to talk about the Bible. They don't want you to talk about what God did for you. They don't want to talk about what the Lord can do for them. You know, they don't want, so you can see that it's, it's a conundrum, man. You can't, you know, you can't do both. You can't do both. Think of how different the culture would, would, we live in would be if believers lived this out a little bit more in their lives. If they realized that the, the calling, the goal in our faith is to please God and to live for him. 
and not worry about what we say to the world because we're never going to please the world. That's for sure. Um, here's the way, and this is just me, okay? This is something that, that I wrote down for me. Here's the way it should be. We stand before the world and say, we have a message from God for you. A message, and the message is the gospel. You know, basically, that's what we're here for. You know, we have a message for you, world. And the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, he saved us and he commissioned us to share this message because this is what is going to set you free. That's what, that's what we're created to do. That's how we please God, being faithful to the commission, being faithful to him and our relationship. And, of course, it goes, I mean, it's, it's um, pretty intense, right? You know, our commitment to Christ and what all of that entails. But what does that look like? Um, what, I, what I just said in, in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 1 and verse 6, um, you know, this... This section of scripture has kind of really stuck out in my heart for a while because we, um, you know, we see what's happening in the world and we want to be a voice, uh, but sometimes, you know, we get ahead of ourselves or sometimes, you know, we lack a little bit of enthusiasm. But it seemed like the church in Thessalonica just lived out their faith in such a way with um, without getting in somebody's face. It seems like, I'll read it, but just to kind of preface it, it it seems like that they lived in such a way that it was just so evident that they loved Christ. That they lived in such a way that it it was just so evident that that Jesus was real. He was tangible. There was something about them, the way they lived, how they spoke, that really spoke volumes to them. And and, and the fruit of that was that, you know, they were on this Appian way from different parts of the that Europe and into Asia and Asia into Europe, that as people were going through Thessalonica, as they were leaving, they were leaving with the gospel. And people's lives were being changed. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes we think we, um, you know, we need to do something on top of what, you know, just living out our faith. But you know what? If you live for Christ, you know, if you let Christ shine through you, that's half the battle. That's half the battle. Listen to what Paul says about the church in Thessalonica. And, and these guys are getting persecuted. These guys are, are, are getting persecuted for their faith. And it's not like they, they weren't being called names or anything. They were being persecuted. Losing their jobs, put in jail, beaten up. You know, they were being persecuted. But listen to what Paul says. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. You know, they were, Paul, they were going places and the word already got there from people who went through Thessalonica and they didn't even have to say anything. They were already knew the Lord. They already heard the gospel. I mean, that, that's pretty effective ministry, uh, just living out your faith. Just awesome. Uh, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven, his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. So you can't, you can't straddle the fence. So I have to ask this question. What are you living for? Are you living to please God? Or are you living to please the world, or are you trying to do both? But I'll say it again. It's, it's, it's a lost cause, man, because you can't do it. You cannot do it. You know, you've got to make that choice in your heart 
in your mind and just be determined that you're going to live your life to please God. Sure, we're not perfect. You're not going to live a perfect life when you make that commitment. In fact, the heat might even be turned up a bit. But the thing is, when, when you make that choice to serve God, to please God, your life is going to change. You know, you're, you basically you're saying, okay, God, you know, here I am, whatever, whatever you want. And God is going to pour his grace into your life. He's going to be there for you. You know, he's going to be that rock. He's going to be that refuge. He's going to be everything that you need when you totally give your heart to him, when you're committed. And sure, you know, look, we, we have the Bible. You know, one thing I like about the Bible, it's very honest about its heroes. And, you know, it records a lot of their failings. So we understand that, you know, God's not called us to be perfect, just faithful to him. So verses 11 and 12, it says, oh, uh, but, I make you, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me um, is not according to man, for I neither received it from men or man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So <laughs> Paul is, is making a contrast here that, um, you know, he's telling them that his gospel is from God and theirs isn't. You know, he's saying, hey, wait, I didn't get this from men. Uh, when God knocked me off my donkey on the way to Damascus, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go run to find Peter or John or James. Nope. I went out to the wilderness, man. The Lord is the one who, who gave me this gospel. He's the one, what we read out of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, the Lord gave that to Paul by revelation. He, he, you know, he, he was, remember, anti-church. So, and it, it's interesting, Paul's message was, was, Paul's message was not man's attempt to, to reach up and understand God and explain him. No, Paul's message was God's effort to bow down and communicate with man. You know, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were, you know, it was this kind of upward thing, but the gospel came. God reached down to us. Jesus came out of heaven for us. You know, it's just a humility, just how humble. And, um, you know, the thing is, saints, we don't need the wisdom of men. We need revelation from God. You know, we don't need wisdom. We don't need man's wisdom. It's foolishness. We need revelation. We need revelation from God. And you know what? We have it right here. We, we do have revelation from God. We have his word. And, you know, God does speak to us, right? We have the spirit of God in us, the Holy Spirit. So, and I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to get all of this, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. And it's, you know, so I have a question. And, you know, you, this is kind of rhetorical for you guys, but was Paul's message the message of the Bible? Um, is it really from God? Because if it's true, you know, then we, you know, guess what? We, we're in, man. We got, we're like totally in with it. If it is, if it's true. And, you know, it's kind of rhetorical. It would be nice if somebody that wasn't saved were here or didn't, didn't kind of believe the Bible. But this is, you know, this is going to really build up your confidence um, in the Bible. If Paul's, if Paul's gospel is the message of the Bible, if it really came from God, then I can't think of a more important message or fact that the world needs to hear. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, um, you know, the, they believe that the Bible was just man's invention, you know, to deal with, um, you know, all kind of woes or whatever. You know, don't let this, you know, just like it was all made up kind of thing. Um, you know, and there's, you know, the, it was a bunch of spiritual men just kind of daydreaming. They wrote this stuff down. 
you know, they, they got a good following, you know, and, and there's a lot of people on the other side of the fence that say they've heard from God, you know, the people that wrote the Koran, the Book of Mormon, um, you know, so many uh, different thoughts out there. But the question then is how can we know that the Bible is really from God and not from man? And, you know, of course, Paul had his testimony as part of this. But I want to look at it from a different approach. This is an important question because as we answer it, it's going to give us a deeper confidence in our relationship with God. So let me read first 2 Peter chapter 1, and then we'll get into this a little bit more. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 19 through 21, Peter says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So in the context of verse 21, it's clear that Peter is speaking of Scripture's origin and that it's from God himself and not the credentials of the one who interprets it. There is no private source for the Bible. The prophets didn't, did not supply their own solutions or explanations to the mysteries of life. Now you got to get this. Rather, God spoke through them. He alone is responsible for what is written in Scripture. What we have is God breathed. It is given by God. You know, we have the Word of God. You know, there's no other way to say it. You know, I mean, if it doesn't impact you, we can talk after. But, it's, you know, we have. We, we have literally the Word of God. Paul is telling these, these religious leaders and he's telling the church in Galatia, I didn't get this from man. I got this from revelation from God. You know, so we, now we know that we could sit back and say, hmm, Paul, you're right. You know, because we understand what he's saying. We understand totally what he's saying. We have this book. When we share this with people, we, I mean, we're, this isn't something I thought of. This is, this is revelation from God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is revelation from God to the world. And Paul is telling you know, these folks, hey, look, this, you know, this isn't something contrived by man. What I'm telling you, I got from God. And it's, it's verifiable. And that's what I want to spend the next few minutes and you know, how, you know, how, long, how far we get. But I just want to talk about the Bible for a second and just how reliable the Bible is. Okay? And, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. We know that the Bible is the word of God because it's reliable, it's accurate, and it's trustworthy. We know this because the text itself is established and reliable. And, there, and, and there's thousands of ancient manuscripts of the Bible that are compared and analyzed. Um, the text that we have today is very accurate. It's a co an accurate copy of um, the original. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls that verify um, the Bible. Archaeology also is confirmed and supported consistently the Bible record. This isn't make-believe. This is revelation from God. Saints, that's how, that's how we need to approach our Bibles and our relationship with God. We are not without, you know, we have everything that we need. And, and we know this because we see it, right? Um, in fact, there has never been a finding in archaeology that has contradicted the Bible. Pretty interesting to think that. 
you would think over all these years that something would pop up and say, ah, we got you. And there was one instance where they thought it was one of those got you moments because archaeology provided evidence of the Hittite community. And for years, um, you know, people thought that there was no evidence to prove it. It was just something in the Bible. And they thought it was just something contrived by man, just a, a, a quaint story. It, they, they never existed. But archaeologists discovered the civilization of the Hittites, and it was exactly as vast and mighty as the Bible described. Guys, we have revelation from God. God's word is from God to man. You know, we, nobody made this up. Everything in it is true. And that's just one example of, you know, archaeology has proven again and again the, the accuracy of the Bible. The Bible is unique among all literature. In, it, in, its, in its, its continuity, the Bible was written over a period of 16, 1,600 years. It was written by 40 different authors, writing over a period of 60 generations, it was written on three different continents. It was written by people of different social and political and economic status. It was written in three different languages. And in addition to all that, the Bible speaks on the most controversial subjects imaginable, as in God, eternal life, morality, ethics, and more. And the Bible speaks on them in one voice in agreement. The Bible is indeed a unique book, and I challenge anyone, okay, to collect the writings of 40 different people from 1,600 years span, from 60 different generations of all different economic and linguistic classes, and learn in three languages and compare those writings on controversial topics and see if it all agrees. It never could happen. <laughs> Right? Saints, there's total agreement in the Bible because it really has only one author, and that author is God. And that's the book that we have. And that's what Paul is telling these folks. God called me. I, you know, God called me, not man. You know, it was revelation from God. But wait, there's more, okay? And we got a few more minutes. The Bible is unique in its circulation. Never has a book been a book as widely published as the Bible. It's unique in its translation. Never has there been a book translated into so many languages as the Bible. The Bible is unique in its survival, how it's endured attacks of skeptics and men throughout history. The Bible is unique in its honesty. I mentioned this earlier. No other ancient book is so honest in its communicating the failures of its heroes. It's unique in its influence. You'll never find a book that has influenced human history as much as the Bible has. Just a little more. <laughs> Bible prophecy. This, we, can, we could spend the rest of the night here, but I'll just give you some highlights. More than 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah that were exact, exactly and literally fulfilled by the coming of Jesus Christ. Saints, God has to be behind a book like that. You know, when you think of, and, and you guys know the prophecies that, that Jesus fulfilled, the Bible describes the rise and fall of world empires and political kingdoms with such accuracy that critics of the Bible have to say it must have been written after the fact because it was so accurate. And the book of Daniel comes to mind. You know, that's the Bible that we have. Revelation from God. I mean, it is amazing. We should leave out of here tonight knowing without any doubt that this is true and that we can stake our lives on what this book says and we can be totally committed to the Lord and our relationship with him, because we've gotten that by revelation from God. You know, and I'm not trying to get like real super spiritual, but it's the truth. 
You know, what we know about God is from the revelation that he gave to the folks who wrote this book and he held it together. The Bible is completely amazing and unique because it's a book that has profoundly changed the lives of millions and millions of people from different areas of the world, from different races, from different classes, from different ages, men and women alike. The Bible has the amazing power to change lives. And I'll close with this little thing that came to my mind, and it's, it's, it's kind of dumb, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you know, we, we hear about a lot about diversity, inclusion, and equity. And you know how that fits in the Bible? We die to ourselves. Diversity, D, inclusion, equity, die, right? So we die to ourselves. You know what? There's never been um, an entity in the world that has been the most diverse, the most inclusive, and, and the most equal. <laughs> I don't like the word equity, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's the church. It's the church. If you want a, a clear picture of what that should look like, just look at the church. Because when you love Jesus, nothing else matters. Where you come from, your ethnicity, none of it. Pastor Rob shared a little of that this morning. None of that makes any difference. You know, there's one race, right? The human race. And God is the creator of us all, right? We're all related. So you might not want to hear that. Some of you don't want to be related to me. No, but we are, right? We're all related. We're all related. So it's just amazing. You know, so we, uh, we got just about as far as I thought we would. So uh, next month we'll pick up where we left off, but let's pray. Now, Lord, thank you so much for your word. And God, we, um, we're just amazed. You know, God, I pray that, um, you know, we would get in the habit of just taking more time to just sit with you and just allow your word to speak to us because it's revelation from you. It's your heart. It's your desire for us, um, Lord. So um, I just pray that we would accept that that challenge, Lord, and uh, there's so much benefit to hanging out with you, Lord, to spending time with you and your word and just praying and just hanging out, just listening to you. Thank you for making that available, Jesus, and for what you've done for us, going to the cross. Uh, you truly are our Lord and our Savior. We pray, God, for now traveling mercies, Lord, for all of us on the way home. And should you tarry, Lord, um, we pray we get to uh, make some application of what we heard tonight uh, in our day tomorrow. So we praise you and thank you for all these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.